Hey folks, Gerald Kirk here, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get to the show. jazz figure which i'm still blown because again i whenever we whenever people say jazz music we just automatically think new orleans maybe chicago st louis that kind of stuff but that birmingham had its own jazz scene is not necessarily surprising but just from that story that you told is like there's a lot left to discover about birmingham jazz music for sure so that's another episode or another documentary or something that we have to dive into at some other point. Um, but again, thank you for sharing the, everything that you did. Um, but now we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit. But before we go into this, while you were talking, while you were playing finger uh, air saxophone, I was curious, do you play <laughs> instruments for real, for real? Like, I mean, because a lot of your work is about music or around music. Yeah, I love to be around music, but I am not a musician. I mean, I learned enough guitar in life sure. that I can, you know, strum some chords. Uh, I had a uh, kind of old time string band, fiddle, banjo and guitar in which I played guitar band in college. Uh, uh-huh. The only time I've ever um, been in a band and and I don't care to be. I like to be a uh, around the music. So, um, so you're a groupie. I don't identify at all as a musician. So you just identify as a groupie. Yeah, more or less. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome, though. That's that's a that's a beauty to that as well. That's awesome. That's that's really unique and really cool. So, and I think it also allows you. I mean, because you have some people who are like me who just try to play everything, but you're like really medi- mediocre at everything because of that so like you're all kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum where you just prefer to sit back and just in, take everything in um and that has afforded you the opportunity to get to know a variety of different types of music and musicians so we're talking about jazz with doc but now one of the things one of the what you you landed on my radar whenever i heard that you were um awarded the joyce Cawthon fellowship for alabama folk life uh did I get the Alabama Folklife Association? This is a special uh, fellowship to, well, actually, you, you describe it. You tell the folks what it is. Um, well, the yeah, the Alabama Folklife Association is a nonprofit in Alabama. I want to say founded in 1980-ish. Sure. Um, and uh, Joyce Cawthon was uh, the founding director of the Alabama Folklife Association. Uh, Association. She is now retired Um uh, she is awesome. Uh, she is a friend of mine and a uh, inspiration of mine, and mm-hmm. um, and so it was a great honor to me to to receive an award named for her. Sure. I think when she retired from that position, um, or around about then, uh, they came up with this fellowship, um, which is to yeah uh, to support the work of people documenting cultural traditions in the state of Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, yeah, so I guess it was, I think it was two years ago now, or it ended last year, uh, ended this year, I guess. Uh, I was the recipient of, uh, of one of those Calvin awards. Um, 
the, the next to yeah previous cycle and um and that fellowship specifically was to fund a project um which i had been wanting to do forever but hadn't figured out what the project was yet sure. and finally finally a couple years ago i like bit the bullet and came up with a plan and it was to do something to commemorate uh the life of this musician and this instrument maker ernest mastella uh who was from Asheville, alabama st Clair county um who um who i got to know a little bit near the end of his life 20 years ago he died okay. in three um and uh um yeah he was an extraordinary should i tell you yeah well i'm yeah well first of all you just find these people <laughs> these they're kind of obscure but again tremendous lives and so like how did you come across Ernest? so uh so um actually he, he there was an article about him in the Birmingham News okay. in the year 2000 uh in the spring of that year um I was in college and about to graduate and my great aunt who lived in Birmingham um saw this article and for whatever reason she thought of me um nice. thought it would be interesting to Bergen which is really interesting because it's the only newspaper clipping she ever sent me and <laughs> that she did and 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 I was interested, and and um, anyway, who Ernest Mostella was? So he was born. I want to in in nineteen oh eight, I think, off the top of my head. Um, and so yeah, I met him in two thousand. So again, that was just the last few years of his life. Um, but he was a fiddler, a fiddle maker. Um, he was a coal miner, a. Uh, 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 well digger, a grave digger. Uh, he did all sorts of um, kind of heavy labor type uh, jobs throughout the course of his long life. Um, and along the way also was locally known and very intensely locally known um, as a uh, as a craftsman who like prided himself in his ability to make anything out of wood. Um yeah. Especially known for his baskets, and especially especially known for for his fiddles. Um, he also made um, uh, banjos, guitars, mandolins. I mean, he prided on himself on making any instrument out of wood, and uh, and made all kinds of tools and other things. But it was the fiddles uh, in particular that he was known for. Um, he was in into the 21st century you know living into 2003 he was a very rare african american practitioner of fiddle traditions um that you know people um that are largely forgotten or were largely forgotten but he he had learned himself uh directly from his grandfather and his great uncle who were born enslaved uh mm. who were themselves musicians mm. and who lived into the 20th century and um so he would talk about as a boy like playing sitting at their knee sitting at his grandfather Gus Cochran's knee mm -hmm. and absorbing these songs and these fiddle tunes and um and through Mr. Mostella, Ernest Mostella, um, this really incredible legacy um, and repertoire kind of survived. Even sure. though, I guess what hasn't been said yet is, I mean, his fiddles. I, you've seen, have you seen photographs of his fiddles? Yes. So they're not, whatever people are picturing in their head right now as fiddles might not be quite right. Um, they're very like rough hewn instruments. And I, they're fascinating because they're all they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, they uh, he car even into his nineties, he carved the fiddles with a chainsaw. Like he would go into the woods near his home and carve the trees, cut down the trees, carve them out, like let them dry, assemble them. He used this. Um, uh, like a homemade glue that he learned either from that grandfather or great uncle made of egg white, uh, like egg whites and yellow poplar sawdust mixed together was the glue. And you can tell an Ernest Mostella fiddle among other things, because like at the seams where the wood comes together, there's this wild like mixture of sawdust. That's the glue. Huh. Uh, 
that holds it together. Um, and but like I say, that they everyone is sort of a different shape size. You know, some of them have six strings, some of them have four strings, some of them have seven strings. Uh, I mean, they're like these really as just even as, as physical art objects, they're seriously, yeah, from the fact that they're instruments like the. I think Ernest Mostello is perhaps the one person in the world who really knew how to play. I was going to ask that. <laughs> just like um, they're, they're not standardized. Right. Really they like... are not standard. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but they're these, yeah, these fascinating objects and these fascinating links to this like long family tradition. Um, you know, I don't know what the fiddles that his um, like great uncle made looked like. I mean, I know he didn't use a chainsaw to make them, for example. Sure. Um, but uh, but Ernest Mostella kind of filtered that tradition through his own, you know, creative vision into something like really special and totally unique. Um, and uh, well, you asked, so like, how did I come to meet him? So my aunt sent me that uh, that article and um, when I was when I was gra about to graduate from college that same year in the year 2000, um, uh, my parents were kind and generous enough to ask me um, if there was something I might enjoy for like a graduation gift. And I said, I would love to have like a, a nice tape recorder <laughs> and microphone mm -hmm. um, because of all the reasons that we've been talking about so far. And yeah. First thing I did with that tape recorder and microphone, which is the same one that I used some years later to record Doc Adams, even though by then, like nobody was using cassette tapes anymore, except for me. Um, <laughs> but in 2000, you know, I graduated and I came back to Alabama. And one of the first things I did, uh, you know, probably that, yeah, definitely that summer, that June was, uh, go out to Asheville, Alabama, and um, look up Ernest Mostella. Um, and uh, as we talked about before, like I, I did live in North Carolina for a few years, but during those years, pretty much whenever I came back to Alabama, I would go and see Mr. Mostella, you know, okay. um, and sometimes record, not, you know, not every time, but some of the time uh, I've got at least, you know, a couple of, uh, of recordings of him. And um, so I was saying, so so he died in 2003, and it's been now, I guess, 20 years that in the back of my head, there was always this, what can I do? Like, you know, I would like to do something um, to just to share whatever I can of his story and of his art. Like, it's, it's so unique, and it's so um, – he is not an artist who is known, you know, outside sure. of – is St. Clair County. Uh, there was that article in the Birmingham News, and for many years, it was pretty um, common that he would be featured in a story in like a St. Clair County newspaper. The Anniston Star would mm. every often go and interview him. Um, but beyond that small world, you know, uh, Ernest Mostella did not have really a, a larger audience. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I finally had the thought, well, what I would like to do and, you know, I probably should have done it 20 years ago, uh, but is to locate as many of those fiddles as I can and have them like professionally photographed, like museum catalog quality photographs made um, to capture like as many of them side by side by side as possible because um, because of that diversity, uh, just of their construction, like they're yeah. awesome different um and seeing one is something but seeing a bunch of them <laughs> like is something else and so um sean pathesima who is the uh, like house photographer for the birmingham museum of art has been very gracious to donate his time mm. uh to photograph because i you know i couldn't do any you know i wanted yeah. a professional to yeah. get like last the test of time uh kind of images of these things so you know i put some new some like one ads in st Clair county newspapers and facebook groups and stuff like that and um and you know got in touch with his family mr mostella's family and you know we managed to get our hands on a fair amount of fiddles photograph them you know hand them back to their owners and um when you say so, fair amount how, how well, many good question so i mean i think not a ton honestly i i wish i had done it years ago um and i certainly also talked to people who were like uh 
I don't know if I want to like let the stranger take this, you know, understandably. Sure. I learned this. Um, everybody who has one of these fiddles that I've talked to, it means something. Like it's like a talismanic object. Sure. Like, yeah. Really for some people. Um, and they talk about shaking Mr. Mostella's hand and what that meant to them and, and watching him construct these things. And, um, uh, like these are very special objects. So understandably, yeah. uh, a lot of people didn't like trust. No, and I, about the photos now that the photos have kind of been disseminated a little bit, like just even on Facebook, I think I people can see like, oh, like you know, this was this is a really um, uh, sincere, you know, trip it's legit, yeah, this yeah, yeah, artist and legitimate of. Uh, photography so um but i don't know i, I think we've got a series of 20 something fiddles there's that's a pretty, that's a good there's a yeah. banjo i mean after we finished the project um sort of tentatively finished it um and i put a bunch of the photos on facebook um and it got shared pretty widely nice. um and then you know just when i thought we were kind of finished then i start getting all these messages from people um <laughs> That, oh, I've got one. I've you know, and so you know, we might kind of do another round of this because yeah. I've got a list of Mustella fiddles that we haven't f photographed. Um, but like um, somebody from Gadsden sent me an email um, that he had this really cool. It's super small, compact, little short, stout uh, four string fiddle. But he also has a guitar, uh, and I hadn't you know. We we hadn't come up with a guitar in this series yet, so we have Sean has photographed that now. So yeah, I mean it's sort of open ended, um, but as far as the like Coffin Fellowship from the Folklife Association goes, that was you know kind of a, a year long ish project to to locate the fiddles to document them. And they have an annual journal called Tributaries that mm -hmm. comes out in November. So I'll, um, some of the photos will be included in that this year, along with an essay by me um, that gives like the biographical context of Mr. Mostella's mm -hmm. life. And what I really like to do, I mean, one thing, now that there are these images, like even if we can't take a whole bunch of fiddles on tour, like um, a photo series can go on tour, sure. you know. As an exhibit, an installation, uh, but also like what I want to do after the uh, tributaries article comes out next year, I'll think about how to um, create a small, you know, kind of standalone book that yeah. is booklet, perhaps, but you know, that's that's all the photos um, and yeah. an expanded biography, and you know, what I never got to do with my tape recorder was record him playing the fiddle so uh, it's left to the imagination what that sounds like i was however, gonna ask yes <laughs> and however um he would break into song all the time <laughs> and and so i would like to include you know in sort of a final product the images his life story there's some beautiful photographs of mr mostella um and then uh his so uh, lyrics to some of his songs because again Often these were songs that he had learned, you know, from his grandfather yeah. or you know, from that generation. And there are songs that, you know, go back to slavery. There are songs that go that when I knew him, he was, I can't tell you how many times I recorded him singing songs about the sinking of the Titanic. Um, <laughs> like, um, you know, <sighs> I'm this is I'm sorry. You're gonna gotta pause because so you did uh you were gracious enough to let me take a sneak peek of the article and I noticed I remember you writing about that. Do you remember there was a book called Joe's Got a Head Like a Ping Pong Ball? Don't remember that. Have book. you so there's um we gotta compare notes because there is a book <laughs> that just happened to be in my family's library that was literally just like a, a, a it, it, I think it's called it's a I think that's the title of it, but it's like prairie songs or whatever blah 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 blah. um but there was one song in there that was about the the titanic and it's so funny because it had the actual sheet music inside the book but it was mostly just lyrics and illustrations like funny illustrations and i would like as a kid go through this book and just like make up the two the the melodies uh -huh. or whatever <laughs> but the, i remember <laughs> the one about the titanic was like this ballad like situation that in my head it sounded like that i want to know if like one of these songs is one that mr uh, well, 
Well, you can, well, yeah, we can find that out. There were a bunch of Titanic ballads, you know, back in the day. Uh, there's a lot of records that were made um, of Titanic songs. Um, like, it's a whole thing. But to find somebody in the 21st century yeah. who was still singing not one, <laughs> but like two or three Titanic songs, like, that's that's pretty that's pretty wild. And so... Um, yeah. And, and and that's really what I was trying to speak to is that like the breadth of this like repertoire like spans so many, so many decades, so many traditions, you know, and he would sing in this kind of when I knew him, at least, you know, which is he's well, you know, he's in his upper 80s or 90s. Um, but it, at least when I knew him, he would sing in this very stream of conscious way where he would start, you know, by singing about um uh, America the Beautiful would turn into Columbus Gem of the Ocean, song about a ship. That would turn into a song about the Titanic. Then he would make a comment about, um, you know, the people singing Nearer My God to Thee as the Titanic went down. So he'd be singing Nearer My God to Thee. Then that might send him into some other kind of gospel song or into another Titanic song. Like it would, it was just like, Speaking of ping pong, like ping ponging around from one <laughs> subject to the next, uh, and this really just just profound kind of way. And he would also, of course, you know, improvise his own lyrics uh, and yeah. create his own songs. Um, I mean, the most moving thing that I heard him sing was a um, uh, a song to his late wife um, Rosella, um, and. He had her picture, you know, very old photograph of her, you know, hanging on his wall. Um, the only photograph that it, when I knew him that he had on the wall. Um, and he would say that he would always say that he didn't sleep, um, but that he would be up all night, you know, making something mm-hmm. or talking to Rosella, you know, or mm-hmm. singing and or singing to Rosella. And so he gave me, I think, like a glimpse into that when he sang this like eight and a half minute just marathon wow uh just heart-wrenching song to her as if they were like young and courting but then it would fast forward to like you know her grave and it would weave in like a lot of you know some familiar tune like it there would be a little bit of you are my sunshine in there and a little bit yeah. of careless love or something in there but then a lot that was just purely personal and purely you know um original you know yeah yeah into that moment and so so like so like all these people that i talked to i was incredibly um moved by this this human being and so um so yeah 20 years later i finally figured out that <laughs> you know at least you know at least i would like to preserve some of these fiddles while they're findable in the world because one other thing i'll say about all that is in like Probably about 2003 or four. Um, well, when he was alive, I remember there was a uh, barbecue restaurant just outside of Asheville that I ate at once. And all over the walls of this restaurant, they had Mostella fiddles. What? Banjos, guitars, like everything. That was the only time I saw some like these giant instruments, you know. Like the actual um, instruments, not photographs. Yeah, no, no, actual instruments just hanging everywhere. Because everybody in because he made hundreds of these. And like yeah. lots of, that's why I said 20 ah, something is not many. Because lots of people have them. And like I said, now that those photographs are kind of circulating, some of these have come out of the woodwork. But, uh, but I was, I, you know, I was like, oh, I was in awe of all these instruments, but I took it for granted. Yeah. Next time I came to Asheville, drove to that restaurant, and it had been leveled to the ground. Oh, and my God. Never, even in asking around now, I've still never figured out. If anybody's listening to this uh, and they know what restaurant that was and what came of those fiddles. I haven't gotten a good answer to that question yet. But that has always kind of given me this sense of, of this history being lost yes. and this art being lost. And I'm sorry that it took me so long to act on it because that's always weighed on me. Like that these things are very um, ephemeral, you know, they're, they're not going to be around forever. Yeah. Um, well, so. That's, so this is, I can't stand when people tear stuff down. You know? <laughs> like I'm a huge 
I don't like for buildings to be torn down. I love, I'm more so into preservation. I understand sometimes they're like health issues or whatever. <laughs> There's like lead in the paint, yada, yada, yada. But essentially you just described like a little museum, like unintentional oh, museum, know. you know, know, like a little, and almost so... like King Tut's tomb. In yeah, a way. I agree. It kills me. And oh. I'm so glad that at least we got uh photograph one guitar and one banjo uh in a bu- in addition to a bunch of fiddles because i know because i had seen i knew that these things existed <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and uh i guess one other thing i should say about all of this that is a really like um i think powerful kind of epilogue to the whole thing or something uh to the whole thing is um that um that mr mostella's nephew Derek. <laughs> Uh, great nephew, I think maybe is the mayor of Asheville. Yeah. And so hanging on the wall of the mayor's office is an Ernest Mustella fiddle. Um, and even before that, like back in 2000 ish, when I would go down there, um, like the city hall, uh, hall building, there was a Mustella fiddle hanging, you know, in that building. But, um, but even more so to know that the mayor of Asheville, um, that this is in the mayor's office. You know, Ernest Mostella never uh, learned to read or write. Uh, mm-hmm. And he preserved this tradition um, that, you know, came out of his enslaved grandfather and his family's tradition. And that, yeah, that it's found this place, you know, in, yeah. the, you know, in, the, in the city hall and in the mayor's office, I think is really, really wonderful. And to, um, I don't know. I, I just, I hope that, uh, I hope that Ernest Mostella will be remembered for a long time. Absolutely. And well, I think if so, it would be in good part to the work that you've done, which is why it's so important. So, and then what, which is what, what, what caught my attention whenever I heard that, it, you know, it was announced, it's what caught my attention about it. I was very intrigued by it. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's going to take off for sure. Like now I'm about, I'm straight up about to like start my own search for these, uh-huh. these North Carolina ones. And also too, you said in, in Asheville, North Carolina? No, Ash. You talking about Mr. Mostella? No, but What's, like, where was the barbecue restaurant that you saw? No, that's Asheville, Alabama. No, A S H Ville. That you makes know, it all. They never. I mean, I don't think they ever got that far. You know. Okay. 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 No, that would be wild if a few states away. Nah. Yeah. 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 That's what I was about. To make. I was about to make a big deal. I had. I had. I had already titled the 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 exhibit and everything from Asheville to Asheville, right? Like <laughs> it was gonna be amazing. But no, this is really cool. Uh, and sorry, it, I'm glad we clarified that. Yeah. Though. But it makes mm-hmm. it a good it makes it a little easier to like, you know, maybe do some more hunting about that the stuff that happened. But I'm definitely you have a partner in that and trying to find right. that stuff. I'm about cool. to do some digging. We'll talk later about what you've done so far in that regard. But that's incredible. Super excited to um see more of it come out. So has the Tributaries article already been published? Or is that coming up? Yeah, that should come out, I think, in November. Later in this November. Year. Yeah. Very nice. So folks, be on the lookout for that. It's very exciting. From what I've read, it was really, really engaging. It was a really great read. And you'll have the photos to go along with it to make it even more um, rich and engaging. So um, yeah, thank you for and sharing anybody, more about that. Thanks. And if anybody does have a Ernest Mostella fiddle, um, let me know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can, um, by all means... How, we'll, we'll figure out, tell people how to get in touch with you at the end, but. Um, he always said it was fun. You know, it was funny to him that people bought them to hang them on their walls because in his mind, you know, these were meant to be played. Uh, but he acquiesced and he, you know, put a little loop, a little piece of twine around the head of the fiddle. So you could hang it on your wall. Cause nice. uh, I guess he knew that that's what where most <laughs> of them ended up. He knew nobody was gonna be able to play it other than him. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's awesome, though. So again, this is really tremendous work, and um, one of the things that you are focused—well, the main thing that you're focused on now, again, as you mentioned this earlier—is the nonprofit, the Southern Music Research Center. Tell me where—I mean, I feel like we might have talked about this already, but like where, as somebody who started their own nonprofit as well, mm-hmm. I feel like. An insane person to have done so. It's, it's not an easy task. <laughs> um, it's a tr- it's a lot of work. And but like, where did you get inspired to do this? Like, because yeah, tell us like how you started the 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 archive process and the the whole but how it all kind of grew up from the get go. Okay, and what uh, you're hoping to accomplish with it and everything as well. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, um, hmm. Well, to loop back to like kind of where we started. So I've been in the high school English classroom for 17 years. Um, and I'd been trying to figure out like how I might kind of segue into spending more of my time doing full time the kind of work that we've been talking about writing and research and, and documentary type projects, um, mm -hmm. particularly in relation to music and music history and local music history. Um, and I throughout my teaching career, I had done. A lot of that, you know, the radio show and the doc book and, and a lot of other things kind of alongside the teaching, but was eager to find, um, yeah, to, to kind of transition into sort of seeing if I could make a, a go of doing that kind of work full time. Did we mention before? This has been a long conversation. I hope <laughs> I, I know I've been giving you really long answers. I hope no. anybody's still with us. But um, did we? I got COVID. Um, I won't go into that too deeply, but in addition to the fact that I was like already trying to figure out what's oh, right. next. Yeah. I had that 17th year in the classroom. I was barely in the classroom because I got a case of COVID that turned into this long COVID that was pretty debilitating, which like gratefully, thankfully um, was not nearly as bad as it could be. But sure. at the same time um, it waylaid me for like a whole year. And mm. so um a lot of good ultimately came of that, um, but but it was a weird kind of surreal and scary and very uncertain time. Yeah. And so um, I, I basically spent the bulk of of that teaching year not teaching, right? Sure. Like on medical leave, um, and uh, and that kind of gave me the urgency to figure out well what what. What might be next? Because um, yeah. I didn't even know, um, you know, how I would feel when the next school year rolled around. Mm -hmm. uh, it also gave me a lot of time in bed to think about, well, what <laughs> do I want to be doing with the remainder of my time on this planet? Yep. And so, like, out of all of that, like, that was kind of the push that helped me um, kind of figure out. A, a, a way to try to do the kinds of things that I wanted to do. And yeah. this, this nonprofit and this archive developed out of that kind of the nonprofit idea was, well, you know, if um, uh, a nonprofit could be a uh, uh, opportunity to, you know, get grant funding to do research yeah. projects like the Mostella project, like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever else. Um, but to kind of find some support uh, to do that kind of work. Um, the archive developed out of that. Um, and this, this speaks to the whole like barbecue restaurant getting mowed down thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the impetus for this work is that I have a terror of things being, being lost. lost. Yes. And, <laughs> Same. Uh, yeah. And so that I've always been archivally minded. I love spending time in library basements and archives. Um, and uh, I think a lot about like, well, where will my stuff go? Mm -hmm. Like my stuff that matters, like the, like all these tapes of Doc Adams, you know, or mm -hmm. the a handful of Ernest Mostella fiddles that I do have, you know, mm -hmm photographs whatever like where will this stuff end up and i'll meet somebody who has you know some kind of extraordinary collection of whatever and i you know like i'm terrified of what's going to happen to that you know when you're gone and so um yeah so i don't know so so the center of the southern music research center is its archive and um uh yeah i don't know ask me a question because I, I i'm afraid of repeating what no what sure so um, when you shared about the the doc stuff so yeah, um, that's right. it came from again that was an, almost like an accidental experience where you were were landed with this incredible resource of this guy's life and so i i, I mean it all makes sense to me because i'm the same way I, I'm, I i immediately see the value and stuff like that i'm like i never want this to go away and so it sounds like you just kind of said hey there's probably more stuff out there like this so let me get to well, work trying to you know, and in the short term like a lot of what like the short-term goals of the southern music research center have been like well how do i like ensure yeah the the preservation of some of these stories that i've tried to document but in a lot of cases i hadn't done anything with so you know that tape recorder that i got you know when i graduated from college um you know i i did a lot of oral history kind of work um particularly um with 
not even exclusively with musicians, but especially with musicians. I did like a whole um, thing with um, uh, like so at that time, some of the last surviving members of Hank Williams's Drifting Cowboys were still around. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I got some of those stories on tapes with the idea of, you know, writing an article or something that I never did anything with. Right. Because I started teaching and that was pretty consuming. So a part of the thrill for me of start developing this archive is just starting with some of the stuff that's sitting in my house sure. and digitizing it kind of going through and finding some, you know, highlights that might be of some value to other people uh, mm-hmm. and beginning the process of getting that stuff sort of online. Uh, it's been really thrilling to me to hear yeah. the voices of some of those uh, people that I knew 20 plus years ago who were then in their 80s or 90s and are now gone. Um, so, uh so that's a thrill, but ultimately like longer term goals are of this project are to document, um, you know, sort of the diversity of musical expression and experience across the South, you know, Mm -hmm. to document musical communities and traditions and histories um, and to create a space where, you know, others who have their own materials uh, can preserve and share those stories and those voices and those artifacts and documents. Um, We have, um, as I said earlier, the Collection, the archive is sort of organized by collection. So as I mentioned, there's a Frank Doc Adams collection. There's a Birmingham Jazz Photos collection. Mm-hmm. There's a Music from Gips collection, which is audio recordings from Gips Place. Wow, uh, awesome. There's, uh, we just got this major collection uh, from North Carolina, from yeah. Western North Carolina, the Beach Mountain community, this guy named Jack Guy yeah. in the 1960s. Um, Lived in Beach Mountain, was born and raised there, and that was a very music-rich community. And with his tape recorder, he documented the music of his community, and with his camera and with a Super 8, you know, film recorder. And uh, a lot of that material ended up through a kind of circuitous route in the hands. It was donated to the North Carolina Folklife Institute, Um and they've made that available to the Southern Music Research Center as sort of a platform for putting that out there online so that anybody can go and engage this material themselves. Yeah. So there's these various collections, right? Um, one of the collections um, is uh, there's several Alabama music photos collections, and one of them is music in everyday life. And the idea mm-hmm. of that is, you know, yeah, the, the music of everyday life, marching bands, prison bands, um, you know, families gathered around the piano, yeah. your, you know, great aunt who played the accordion, you know, um, your, you know, whatever. Um, a real goal is to document just the way, the many ways in which music informs the fabric of all of our everyday lives. Absolutely. And, one thing that I hope will happen with this, um, I mean, we already have had uh, some people and organizations donate large collections like yeah. this Carolina Folklife Institute partnership. But also, you know, my real hope is that individuals will say, oh, yeah, you know, my grandmother directed the church choir you know, and here's a photo of her with that choir. You know, nobody has ever come asking for this. This is not a celebrated, famous, you know, artist. Yeah. But she is significant to her community, right? right? Yeah, to her family. And where do you go with that? Like, what, who, where, where are those stories and images preserved? I would like this organization and this archive to be a place for just that. So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that, that's what I really want to see is that we become sort of a repository of um, of those kinds of artifacts and yeah. and see the nonprofit sort of offering service that like you know if somebody has you know some family photos some mystery cassettes in the attic whatever it is some family artifacts you know we can help digitize those we can mm-hmm. return those to the families or we can make ensure that they have like an institutional arc permanent physical archival home yep. whichever you know the the donor wants to pursue but Regardless, we can create like an online space to share that and to memorialize the lives and those traditions and so on and so forth. So, Absolutely. As you're saying this, and you mentioned to, you know, families gather around the piano. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about my own family. Like we have, yeah. I know there's at least one recording 
Yeah. When I was a baby, I'm literally like a few months old. I was, it was taking place during um, November of 1990, and I was born in March 1990. And but so I'm there. I'm, I'm actually uh-huh. singing with my grandmother, um, as they they like to say in the video. Like so, my grandmother's singing some songs. I'll actually send send you this after this conversation because there's a bit of it on Facebook. But like it's literally like two hours of just my family standing on the porch taking turns singing songs and stuff on the porch you know and so is that some kind of stuff that you would like to have in i your... send it my way yeah <laughs> I, mean, that's yes. what, I mean that's the thing i mean that's what that's that's what that's what it's about is yeah. the ways in which i mean it goes back to the moash folkways records thing you know record documenting the sounds of the world right mm-hmm. we're not talking about like what you might hear on the radio, but we're talking about just the rest of us making music in our communities and yeah. our families and the ways in which that shapes who we are, how we see the world, yeah. you know? And um, so, yeah, that's what we're in the business of trying to preserve. So I would say for any of your listeners yeah. um, that they can, um, if they've got artifacts that they would like to see preserved to go to southernmusicresearch.org and get in touch and, uh, We'd love to start a conversation. Uh, I, recently, I was in Meridian, Mississippi, and I stopped with a friend at the flea market there. <laughs> and there are all these cassette tapes. Yep. <laughs> and they were labeled taped by Edna or some variation of that phrase. Love that. So I came home with a handful of them. And... um you know, you always hope there's going to be something great on a cassette, a thrift store cassette. Um, and usually there's not. But in this case, um, there are all these like primitive Baptist gospel, unaccompanied acapella gospel singings. Um, and it's great stuff. And I yeah. wish I knew some of the details. But um, what I know is they were taped by Edna. Sometimes it'll have a location, but like the name of the church, not the name of a community or anything. Mm-hmm. So, not even that is necessarily clear, but, you know, we've already uploaded some of that to the um, archive online and yeah. it's a pretty neat, and this is, these are from like the eighties and nineties yeah. of the church singings. And uh, I plan to go back to Meridian soon to like get the rest of the tapes. Because <laughs> nice. there was like 50 cassette tapes and I brought home like seven of them. That's uh, awesome. That's incredible. So how many collections? So you well, let's take it back. So one second, you guys, officially launched just last year right just well we officially became a nonprofit last year but like sort of the public launch was this year in april with the launch of the website so the website went up april 15th 2023 gotcha. that's really that was the kind of the public debut sure. of the so, research center how many collections so to speak do you have at this point well that's just like what four months but like there's cool. like maybe 12 collections on there. Some of yeah. them are photographs. Some of them are audio. Some of yeah. them are, one of them is film. No, two of them are film. Uh, w- uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a variety, yeah. um, both of media and of decade and of community, of genre. Nice. Uh, I mean, one thing that's really important, there's a collection of Alabama uh, uh, like punk flyers uh, from punk shows around the state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that I would love for uh, any listeners to to send our way um, to, to preserve in this space. I mean, one thing that's really important, I, I think, it's part of the kind of concept of the organization is to create a space where, you know, all of these traditions and genres are like side by side by side, mm-hmm. you know, conversation with each other in ways that you might not expect. I mean, I like that there's gospel, like there's primitive Baptist gospel singing next to punk rock, you mm-hmm. know, next to, you know, old time fiddlers, you know, next to music of the civil rights movement, next to jazz, next to, you know, whatever it is, the next to family around the piano, right. Yeah. Uh, the marching band and so on and so on and so forth. Like, um, yeah, that that's part of the goal is really to reflect, you know, that that type of musical and cultural diversity. That's Love all that. part of our, yeah, all part of our backyard and front yard and, oh. <laughs> and everything. Love this. It's just that's the beginning of something that's really really special and very very exciting. I cannot wait to see where it goes. Um, I have a lot of things I want to talk to you off the air i'm doing air quotes yeah. um <laughs> for those who can't see but um there are a lot of a lot of like my mind's like all over the place right now and i love 
just connect with people like you because you're, you're doing some really great work um and it's gonna be really great moving forward for oh, sure um so i guess out of all of this like what do you hope people get out of it because <laughs> this is you it's like a passion project you're just doing this yeah. on your own you're not paid right this is all pretty much volunteer work right like, well i mean the no, the idea behind the nonprofit. i mean in terms of funding sure. <laughs> is yes we have we've received some generous grants from the alabama state council in the arts sure. we've got uh, a number of community and individual donors uh and are in the process of applying for other grants so yep. that's kind of what is uh you know creating a backbone to make it possible yeah. um but like we I'm, have a board, uh, we do have. Uh, so it's not all me. Uh, sure. And, and um, there's, uh, for example, Dujour, who is a local hip hop artist. Uh, he is a member of our board, and he's been doing um, some of right, so far some of the only like original content from the Southern Music Research Center are these uh, video conversations that he's doing uh, regarding hip hop in Birmingham. So. Um, mm. So I don't want to give the impression that though it kind of, though a lot of this started in my COVID sick bed, <laughs> like, panic of like, what now? Yeah. Um, it's certainly uh, grown um, beyond that to include uh, much more. Sure. So I'm, I'm thinking like bigger picture, like just as a, like a retrospective, I suppose, on your life and your like your work and everything. Like this is a lot of work going into it, regardless of if it's just you and or the community. What are you hoping it adds to like the overarching Southern culture, Southern memory, like, you know, like that? Because it is niche. It can be very niche, you know, like, right? Like, and there's not necessarily like a quote unquote market for it. So like, mm -hmm. this is a really a, a labor of love. So what do you hope people do in terms of like interacting with this? You're, you're even also going back to your writing as well. Like the books, all this work that you're doing, I, this is like a very heady question I'm realizing now, but like, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm, let's reframe that. Uh, what? Why am I doing this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's like when I said before, I went into teaching because I like books and I like teenagers. Mm -hmm. So put them in the same room. I also love music, yeah. and I love music that uh, that engages a history and um, that allows us to engage history. Um, yeah. And I love words and putting them together in a sequence on paper <laughs> writing i guess in other words and so um selfishly why am i doing this stuff it's because if you are lucky enough to kind of create a way in which to like soak in the things you love in my case music and writing then like uh like go for it. And that's yeah. what I've been trying to figure out how to do. Uh, I do, I, I, I did say that the Southern Music Research Center, part, a large part of what I perceive that mission to be is a service yeah. of uh, remembrance. And so that is something, you know, beyond myself that I hope that this work, whether it's the, you know, the writing or this nonprofit or even maybe the radio show, which is more entertainment, but mm -hmm. that like all of this, um, even the name, the name, the lost child also not to read too much into it. Driving force behind all of this is preserving the stories of that you know of of individuals communities traditions histories that yeah. might otherwise be lost right yeah. so that's been a theme going through this whole conversation yeah. uh, and so you know we talk we've talked about doc adams we've talked about ernest mostella uh we've talked about a lot of you know kind of unsung um heroes of mm -hmm. mine uh cultural heroes uh who um whose stories i think ought to be preserved and so anything that i can do so, like i say on the selfish level it's just fun that yeah. can anything better than um spending time uh, documenting the voice of someone that i admire um but also hopefully along the way that preserving that voice 
uh, or that image or that story, you know, hopefully that that adds something to our collective memory and complicates our memory of yeah. uh, of you know our our preconceived ideas of what it, it is Alabama or Birmingham or the South, like any of the stories that we've been talking about. I think complicate the stereotype of whatever, sure. we, you know, and yeah. anytime we can complicate history um, yeah. and do, it, do something as fun as music, um, that's time. Well, that's, that's worthwhile. Absolutely. Cut and print. I like that. That's great. That's great. Well, so we're kind of coming to the end of this great conversation. Um, and with every guest that comes onto the show, I ask them two questions. So this is like a common theme throughout. Um, and this is this is kind of where it gets kind of mushy gushy, like really heavy <laughs> in terms of. Uh, but I, I, because I, I mean, it's in a way you talking about. You just talked about complicating history. I want to complicate. Or maybe simplify, however you want to look at it. <laughs> Alabama, because Alabama has a reputation. <laughs> it does? <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and this is also like a kind of a selfish thing for me, I suppose. Um, I have a complicated relationship with the state. It's my home. Yeah, I love sure. it. But at the same time, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things like just yesterday where I sent you that text. I was like, what's going on in my state? You know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of things that make me scratch my head. that are like really, really frustrating. So I really want to kind of complicate the narrative uh, to use your, your, your phrase. Um, so how has Alabama like influenced you like personally? Like, is that, can we even like, something out with that that hasn't that's different from what you've already shared so far like i mean yeah just no i mean i mean i don't know um i don't know how to six i don't know what to say how how, how what do you say how has alabama shaped me yeah how has it shaped you inspired <laughs> you like um I mean, is whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, it's where I'm from. Right. And I that's something I can't just throw out, you know? Sure. So it, it I have a lot of history here. Um and um so I better I gotta make the most of it, you know? Sure. I'm I, I don't know what else to say. Uh I think you can there's a lot in the culture of where I'm from that is uh, inspiring and celebratable. There's a lot that's not, but I think, you know, that you want to just like you get to choose your, you know, you get to choose your spiritual ancestors, right? You get sure. to choose from your own home, the pieces that, uh, that I, that I don't know that you want to uphold, do something with. Um Yeah. I don't know how to answer your question, but it's where I'm from. Yeah. And I uh and I've always loved certain things about the South. I mean, the things everyone loves about the South are food and music, right? right. So, you know, whatever else, there's there's always that. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and food and music, for example, are great ways to um to understand where we're from and who sure. we are. I don't know, all of that kind of stuff. So no, I love what you said. Um, there are parts that you you get to pick <laughs> you know you you honestly do um and that, that's it's really important that we do do the work of um separating ourselves or not necessarily separating ourselves in a way like to revise you know history or something like that but that to at least depart from things that no longer serve us in a way you know and so i i love that's what that that's what when, when you said that that's what that reminded me of that's like another that's something i'll take away from this for sure is that that is something that we can do as alabamians we can be proud of you know the great things that alabama has to offer and we can learn from the things <laughs> mistakes that alabama has made and separate ourselves not again the way that's a, a terrible word not separate but um depart to like that depart from that to continue moving forward uh along the to to do inspire more things that make us excited about alabama you know like i don't know you're lucky, you're lucky uh you know to um to have a doc adams you know yeah to, yeah you know and there's so many stories and there's so many yeah. inspirations um and i don't know I, I my i feel like my and i'm not uh 
like the Southern Music Research Center, for example, isn't only devoted to the to Alabama, but as far but I do engage, I do I I do tell a lot of Alabama stories, and I am and I've chosen to live here, and yeah. uh, and those are the kinds of stories that uh, they're infinite. There's so many. Um, Absolutely, that's great. Yeah, that this is a, yeah I I like where that that landed and i'll be thinking about that a lot thank you for offering that and then the other option i mean the other question that'll take us out essentially is um what is your hope for alabama moving forward you ask these really big questions by the way I, yeah well that's <laughs> uh what is my hope for alabama yeah. uh, i would there's a lot of ways to answer that question i will say this i um so Another thing we hadn't talked about, I have a 15-year-old stepdaughter okay. um, who is super smart, super funny, creative, socially conscious, mm -hmm. uh, unique, you know, uh, unconventional in a lot of the best ways. Just a great human being mm -hmm. who I think can't wait to get out of Alabama. Yeah. Time comes for her to graduate high school. And my hope for Alabama is not to say that she, I mean, she should go and do whatever it is in the world that she wants to do, uh, obviously. Uh, but I would like to have in Alabama that kids who are super smart and funny and socially engaged and unique and individualistic and progressive, I would like to have in Alabama that they can't, that they don't, can't wait. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that yeah. They, they are not dying to get out of. Yeah. I would like to have an Alabama that any kid like that will, uh, you know, take some pride in. And yeah. I would say that there's a long way to go uh, probably before, um, you know, uh, it's often, uh, it's hard to take that kind of pride. And, sure. and as a teacher talking about, you know, I've seen that a lot with kids. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would like, our home to be a place that uh yeah that whatever that next generation is can claim and reclaim and reinvent but that can claim with pride that like this is this is where i'm from for better and for worse but you know there's enough better to make it worth doing something for Absolutely. I hear that. And that's also that was often a common I don't think it's been said explicitly like that but it's a common theme is people want the same thing so i'm asking people this so i can get it said enough so it's out into the universe you know yeah. <laughs> that'll actually come to fruition in a big way um but that's great uh thank you so much for this conversation before we do head out though and mm -hmm. in addition to everything that you're doing with the southern <laughs> music research center and all the other side gigs you're also still writing and you have oh, yeah. a new a new project coming out so tell us more about this that your latest project that we're that's due to come out soon okay i will um yeah i'll keep it brief uh but <laughs> the, uh, I, <laughs> this november uh university of north carolina press uh the book is magic city um how the birmingham jazz tradition shaped the sound of america and it is the larger story of birmingham's jazz history so we talked about that earlier with doc adams um by the time doc and i finished our book together um that book is his life story and his words and by the time we had you know finished that book um it had become clear that there was also another bigger story to tell just about how it was and why it was that Birmingham, Alabama happened to create this very distinctive, significant, unique, very influential jazz community and tradition that almost nobody knows about. You know? Yeah, exactly. Very unsung jazz tradition. Yeah. But not only that there was jazz in Birmingham, but that Birmingham jazz helped shape the course of jazz history yeah. uh, and that jazz helped shape the course of Birmingham histories. Like those were things that I began to learn through Doc Adams. And um, so the new book, so if we published that book in 2012, now it's 2023. Um, the book that I've just finished has been like 10 years, more than 10 years in the making. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's been to, to tell that story of Birmingham jazz. Absolutely. That's so exciting. And when is that coming out? 
Or is it uh, November or, of this November. year? So a lot of cool things coming out from Bergen Matthews in November. We got the Tributaries <laughs> article that will be coming out, as well as this uh, book, Magic City, um, that's the, uh, telling the story of Birmingham Jazz in depth. It's incredible. You're a cool dude. Did you, like, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I, I'm really excited about everything uh, that's coming out in November. And thank you so much. Is there anything else you want the people of the world to know? No, no I'm grateful for you. I mean, I uh, thank you for having me. Before we start recording, I told you, uh, and I'll say it on air, that, uh, yeah, I'm just honored to be invited. I, I listen to your uh, podcast, and you have talked to some really, uh, really amazing people. So I'm just uh, really honored to be thought of at all. Um, so um, thank you for that, and thank you for what you do. Uh, it means a lot. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Anytime. I mean, like you, it's 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 a service. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to do the, the the good work, and yeah, just highlighting all that Alabama has to offer, and again, all the work that you've done is definitely part of that. So, again, thank you so much for being here, and uh, you guys watch out for Bergen's um, material that's coming out. Keep your eye on his social media pages. So, um, Southern Music Research Center has both a Facebook and an Instagram. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, uh, the, yeah the, the social, uh, Southern Music Research Center. You can find Southern Music Research on uh, Facebook, on Instagram and Facebook. And then Lost Child has its own thing. You can find that on Facebook and Instagram as well. And you can go to the so, better, I mean, follow Southern Music Research Center on the, on the social media, but even better, go like spend some time in the archive at southernmusicresearch.org. Absolutely. And I will say, I mean, if you're like a serial social media person like I am, it's, I, you just guys recently posted this rant. It's not a random. It was random to me because it's like the <laughs> most distinct thing on my timeline. But it's a video of a guy playing banjo mm-hmm. and a guy dancing and a lady dancing. And it's so darn cute. I'll just put it that way. Like, it's an interesting, it's buck dancing. But the, yeah, the kid is buck dancing and the lady is doing the twist and the dress and the guy's playing the banjo. And it's, it's everything that that I stand for. (laughs) No, really, because I was like, it's it's one of these things from Beach Mountain, North Carolina that I was talking about, and which has this long tradition of, you know, ballad singing and banjo making and dulcimer making and playing and all this kind of, you know, what you think of as sort of Appalachian tradition, but, you know, and the twist, you know, and, and you know, and then there's in this collection, there's people playing, you know, Loretta Lynn and Elvis songs next yeah. to old like murder ballads and stuff because, you know, tradition is more, way more complicated and fluid and sure. uh, constantly evolving than we think. It's also an adorable video. I agree. Yeah. I don't mean to overanalyze it, but <laughs> no, I'm glad love, you did. I love seeing the buck dancing and the twist and the banjo for all of those reasons. Uh, I was yeah. so confused. I was like, is the twist like a folk dance? Like, because, <laughs> you know, it was such an interesting combination of things. So thank you so much for clarifying that for me. But again, that's that's some that's yeah, just like a little twist. You did yeah. see that. It's like a nice little snippet of what the Southern Music Research Center has. Uh, so do check them out. Go to the social media sites, but also, like you said, check out southernmusicresearch.org and, and and just dive in and have a good time. Again, thank you so much, Bergen. This thank you, Gerald. Awesome. Looking I enjoyed forward it. to everything. sounds of swing, soul, and roll. And that's a wrap on our conversation with Bergen Matthews, writer, 
archivist, educator, and founder and director of the Southern Music Research Center, a new Alabama-based nonprofit organization devoted to the documentation, preservation, and public presentation of the American South's diverse musical histories and ongoing forms of musical expression. The musical clips featured in this episode and part one are courtesy of the Southern Music Research Center. The introduction was a recording of the D. Clark Band playing at a juke joint in Utah, Alabama in the 1970s. The tenor saxophone heard in the recording is played by Frank Doc Adams, the Birmingham jazz legend that Bergen wrote about. The recording comes from Doc's personal collection. The tune being played now is Cha Cha from an obscurely produced LP called Live from Club 401 Swing Soul Roll featuring Johnny Hayden and the Organettes. Johnny Hayden was the owner and band leader of Club 401, which was located just outside of Birmingham in the Powderly community. There, Johnny used his stage to develop local talent. You can hear these collections and learn more interesting Southern music history by visiting www.southernmusicresearch.org. This episode also featured the song Jerky by Birmingham musician Alex Horn. Check out Alex on Instagram at underscore Carol Loops underscore. That's underscore C-A-R-R-O-L-L-O-O-P-S underscore. <laughs> Thanks again to the Alabama Humanities Alliance for their continued support of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Be sure to check out the great work that they're doing across the state at alabamahumanities.org. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on the rest of what's definitely going to be an amazing season. Until next time, be easy.